My name is Warren, one of the pastors here, and glad to be with you as we are continuing on in our series in the Gospel of John. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about kings and kingdoms, and I think it's a good and fitting topic for us today as we're preparing next week to crown the king of the NFL. Right, next week is Super Bowl Sunday. You got the Rams and the Bengals, the two teams that everyone thought would be there at the beginning of the season. And we'll see who it'll end up being. We're still going to have church next week, just a heads up. But, you know, if we wanted to zone out on the topic of football, we wanted to kind of take a bigger perspective on football and kind of ask ourselves the question of who is the king of the NFL? Who's been the king of the NFL? Who would you guys say it is? A person, sorry, yes, Brady, Brady, Brady. I heard it through the grit of your teeth. I know none of us want to admit it, but it's almost like every every tongue must confess that Tom Brady, king of football, undoubtedly. And you see, Brady's story is strange in a lot of ways, right? Brady didn't have the normal path to greatness. Went to a big school, but wasn't didn't come out with like all the great accolades, didn't come out expecting to be at the top of his draft class. Um, You know, he was kind of like, he was picked in the sixth round. There were almost 200 other players picked before him. And so the sports website I uh, follow, they actually went back and they asked some of the team officials and scouts, GMs of the time who were drafting in Tom Brady's draft class, like, what did you see or what didn't you see that made you think that he wasn't gonna amount to much? And so they said things like this, He had a poor build, he was skinny, he lacked great physical stature and strength, lacked mobility and ability to avoid the rush, lacked a strong arm, couldn't drive the ball downfield, didn't throw a tight spiral, was a system-type player, he got knocked down easily. You don't have to be a football fan to see that they're saying he's a scrub. They're saying he's not good. He's not good. There's nothing good about him, right? Like, he wasn't destined to amount to much in the league. One of the GMs, he actually said this. This this is a quote. He said, we didn't open up his chest and look at his heart. We didn't look at that. I don't know if anybody did. We didn't see what kind of spine he had and resiliency and all the things that are really making him great right now. You see, Brady, he didn't fit the mold of what people thought the king of the NFL would look like. But he would nevertheless go on to redefine his position, redefine what greatness looked like, became a, a strange king of sorts. And when I say strange, I don't mean like weird or creepy. There was this time he did this thing with the footballs. It was kind of weird, but he's a one-of-a-kind king. Story's unfamiliar. It's not something we've encountered before. See, today we're going to be talking about another strange king, greater strange king, Jesus. Jesus is a one-of-a-kind king, a unique king a king that would reign and have a kingdom that would operate like no other. Kingdom that Pontius Pilate, who we're going to meet today, that he wouldn't expect would be the one that would reign into eternity. And so my prayer this morning is that as we examine these things and we look at the king and what his kingdom is made up of, we will see the glory of the king and uh, feel the invitation the goodness of life in his kingdom. Before we do that, would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the gift that is your word. Thank you for how you reveal yourself in your word. And Lord, I just pray that at this time, your spirit would fill this room. God, open our hearts, open our ears to receive um, the word you would have us to receive today. 
God, and I pray at the end of this message um, that we would be reminded of our primary loyalty to you, King Jesus. God, be with us now. In your name, amen. So pick up with me in John 18, verses 33 through 35. It says, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? So we see there in Pilate's initial questioning of Jesus, he's like, sir, who are you? If you are a king, what kind of king are you? You see, to Pilate, if Jesus is a king, he's a strange one indeed. So where we find ourselves is we find ourselves in the trial portion, passion of the Christ. Jesus has already been in front of the religious leaders, and they have decided in their minds that they want him to die. Right? He is a threat to their kingdom, and so they ultimately want him to experience death penalty. But they don't have the, 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 the right. They don't have the authority to send him to the cross. They have to go and get the authority of the, 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 the nation of Rome that, over, that they are subjugated to. And ultimately, the Roman representative, Pontius Pilate, the governor of their region, has to be the one to send Jesus to the cross. It's interesting, right? When we see Jesus in front of the religious leaders, it's not saying much. It's not much of a conversation if you read back in chapter 18 kind of get the sense that Jesus has already, already said everything in their presence. He's already performed the works that testify to who he is in their presence. So there wasn't much to say there. But when Jesus is with Pilate, we see a conversation happen. There's a back and forth. It's going on. So Pilate's been told some things about Jesus. Right, so he's trying to assess, who is this guy? What is he up to? Him and Pilate have a conversation. We're going to be in a conversation today. Pilate's just having generally a hard time with Jesus. I get the sense like Pilate's like a, a New Yorker right now. He's like, just be straight with me. Be straight with me. Give it to me straight, man. Right? But Jesus is not making it easy for him. Jesus is not giving the direct answer he's looking for. And you see in Pilate's mind, Pilate has seen many of a rebellious leader that has been in front of him. There have been many people specifically in that region who have thought, I'm going to gather some people together and we're going to go and overthrow Rome. And so in his mind, I think he looks at Jesus and he says, another one, another one. Right? And if Jesus's goal is to start some pointless, some, some rebellion to overthrow Rome, then Pilate's got an easy day ahead of him. But Jesus's answers throw him off. Pilate's having a difficult time making sense of who Jesus is. You know what? I think what Pilate's experiencing is not something that's specific to him. I think we often have a hard time making sense of what kind of king is Jesus? We can often feel that same way. And I think in our effort to figure Jesus out, we can create our own caricatures of who he is and what he's up to. Now, if I had to name all the caricatures that people make of Jesus, I'd be here till Super, Sun Super Bowl Sunday. All right, but if I had to name three that I've seen, maybe three that I've kind of created even in my own mind, in my own heart, it would be these three. I think the first one would be headphone King Jesus. And you see the headphone King Jesus there, he's blocking out everything. 
He's got, he's got some Maverick City playing in his headphones. He's like, Chandler, you're killing it right now. Right? But his goal is to just separate from the world. Right? He wants to stay away from anything that's going to make his life too difficult. Any of the messiness of life, he just kind of wants to pull away from that until he can pull away ultimately to return to the Father in heaven. Headphone King Jesus just wants to be left alone. Next caricature would be the good vibes King Jesus. Good vibes King Jesus is rocking his John Lennon shades up there, man. But this version of Jesus is a non-threatening version of Jesus. He's not avoiding the crowds. He's in the crowds. He's got his God vibes only shirt on. He's okay with being in the world, right? But he's not distinct. He kind of just wants to blend in. He kind of just wants to be there and offer some good, positive thoughts, right? Some wise sayings to spread the love, right? But his goal is to not ruffle anybody's feather. Good vibes, King Jesus. He just kind of wants to, just wants to get along. Last one would be the Avenger King Jesus. <laughs> Avenger King Jesus has got his hammer right there, right? And everyone is a nail. Everyone is someone or something that needs to be dominated by force. This version of King Jesus is out to Hulk smash anyone that gets in his way. Domination by force. All his enemies are a proverbial table that just need to be flipped. Avenger King Jesus, right, wants to get his way by strength. And this is what happens. In our effort to figure out Jesus, we create these caricatures of him instead of seeing how he's revealed himself, seeing how he reveals his kingship and what his kingdom is actually like. And you know what? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I, when, I, when I catch myself having the wrong picture of who God is, when I catch myself kind of creating a God, my own image, I ask myself, why? Why am I doing that? I think our Christian experience should call us to a lot of moments of self-reflection, self-examination. And I think for Pilate, right, if we want to think about Pilate, I think we're not too different than him. I think Pilate would ultimately end up caricaturing Jesus right, because he wants to maintain control of the situation that's in front of him, right? You can even see he's trying to be objective and distance. He's like, am I a Jew? I, those are your peoples. That has nothing to do with me. Just tell me what you did, right? But ultimately, he's trying to maintain this distance, right, to, to, to maintain the control over the situation that's in front of him. And I think similarly, in our desire to want to be in control, that control could be a driving influence behind a lot of the caricatures that we create of God. I mean, let's take these caricatures through the lens of control. Headphone King Jesus, right? He's created by this desire to control for comfort, a desire to stay away from the messiness of the people, places, and things of our world, right? There's also, there feels like there's a sense there that the corrupting influences of our world are greater than the God that we serve, that they're too much for him to handle. The good vibes, King Jesus, is created by a desire to control people's opinions of us, right? It prevents us sometimes from those awkward moments when we are actually called to live out and testify to the way things ought to be. 
And what we'll say there is like, you know what? I don't want to, you know, I want to make sure I'm speaking the truth in love. But oftentimes we don't end up speaking the truth at all. We don't end up speaking the truth to the people that we love because it requires boldness. And so, yes, good vibes, King Jesus. Right, looking to kind of just blend in, looking to kind of just go with the flow instead of live as the distinct people of God. Avenger King Jesus, created by the desire to control others by force, to control others by domination, to maintain the status quo by power, by strength. There's almost the idea there that in order to save God, we have to save ourselves first. Do you know you don't have to worry about saving God? God does all the work of salvation. We don't fight in front of him. Right, we see how he's moving. We see how he fights his battles. It's not by strength. It's not by struggle. You see, the danger of when we try to control Jesus in these ways is this is what it does. It makes us king, and we are leading Jesus instead of being led by him. And very often what we do is we end up creating a God in our own image. Instead of worshiping him as he's revealed himself, his word. And the caricatures don't provide an accurate representation. They never do, right? When you caricature people, what happens? You make their head big, right? You make their arms big, right? But you don't get the real picture of the person. When you caricature people, you magnify their flaws instead of seeing them as full humans made in the image of God. And when you caricature Jesus, you miss the totality of who he is. That he has his, a heart of compassion. He has a generous and sacrificial love even for his enemy, and he hates sin. we got to get this. Jesus is a strange king. He's not a king that you can just squeeze into your box. He's not a king that you can just get into your corner. And the people of God have made the mistakes throughout history by just thinking they got God all figured out. If you think you have God all figured out, you definitely don't. But his spirit leads us. I think oftentimes we do stuff like this, right? Because reliance is scary. But actually relying on God to show us how to respond, which might call us to do some of these or respond in some of these ways, is more difficult than just kind of following the, the image of God in the way that we've made it in our minds. Jesus explodes the boxes. And as we continue on in our passage today, we're going to see that Jesus, he not only explodes the, the caricatures of what a king should look like, he also explodes the caricature of how a kingdom should operate. Let's continue and see what Jesus has to say about the origin and nature of his kingdom. Pick up with me in verse 36. It says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom were of this world. Uh, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. And so Jesus is telling Pilate, hey, the kingdom's unique. It's a strange kingdom. It's unfamiliar to you, Pilate. And so we've been on this journey, the Gospel of John, we've been on this journey to the cross, and we've seen Jesus pray in his high priestly prayer of John 17. He says he prays that we would be in the world, but not made up of the stuff of the world. 
You see, we as followers of Jesus, we're called to represent a different reality than what the, 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 the kingdoms of the world represent. And here we have Jesus kind of cluing Pilate in on the nature, the origin of his kingdom. He says, kingdom is strange in its origin, right? Because it actually comes from above. It's not from the stuff of this world. It's not born of force or strength or struggle or warfare. It's born by the spirit of God. And since it's of a, from a different place, it thereby has a different nature. It doesn't pursue power like worldly kingdoms go about pursuing power. It doesn't pursue power through domination, through strength, by having the most numbers, all the things on all the ways that the worldly kingdoms pursue their power. And so what you have is Jesus, he's, picture this, he's standing in front of the representative of Rome, Pilate, right? And what he's not saying is this. He's not saying, hey, Pilate, look, I have my 12 guys, you know, we're over here, we're doing our thing. You don't need to worry about us. Like we have a spiritual kingdom and you are the big bad boy. You don't have to worry about us. He's not saying that. What he's actually saying is, Pilate, because of the origin and nature of my kingdom, it's not that I'm not a threat to you. It's that there is no way you could ever be a threat to me. And he says that to every empire that rises. There is no way that you could be a threat to me. You see, Pilate, again, your kingdom is built on strength and struggle. And you know what can happen? Another kingdom can come, right, with strength and struggle and knock you off the throne. But the kingdom of God doesn't run that risk. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's from above. It's not the spiritual stuff that makes us feel fuzzy inside. It's the spirit power, the spirit of strength, spirit from above, spirit of truth. And though the kingdom of God may not be made up of this world, may not be from this world, it's above it. It's more successful than any kingdom of this world has ever been. I mean, consider this. Jesus's kingdom holds his followers without force better than any kingdom can hold them by force. How do the world's kingdoms maintain their power? They gotta dominate. They gotta get all the, the army out. They gotta use all the weapons. They have to go by the means of this world of strength, warfare, control people. Jesus does none of that. You never see Jesus in, in uh, an ax with a sword behind Peter or Paul or John, like, you better tell people about me. You better make sure they know. Never does that. He grips them by something better, grips them by gratitude. They've experienced life with the king, right? And they cannot go back to their old way of living. They've experienced life with the king and they recognize that this is actually what we were created to be. They experience life with the king and not only that, they have to go and tell people about it because they see that it is indeed the hope of the world. They're willing to die for him, live and die for the king. You see, Napoleon, one of the greatest leaders of a worldly kingdom, he said this about Jesus, he got it. He said, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires, but on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon sheer force, 
Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men will die for him. And Napoleon said that many hours ago. But even at this exact hour, millions of people will die for Jesus. Right? And it's not because he's forcing them to. Right? It's because they recognize that even if the worst thing happened to them, right, that nothing could pull them from the eternal security of relationship with him and the Father. And so they are willing to give it all for his sake. Church, we, we have a lot to be grateful for because of the presence of the kingdom in its origin and in its nature. Kingdom, uh, we're grateful for the kingdom's origin and the fact that it's from above. And it's not just from above, it's on the move. It's on the move to be the last kingdom that stands into eternity. And it comes and it challenges worldly kingdoms in a way that no other kingdom can. You see, the kingdoms of this world, they lead to things like war and people hurt physically, emotionally, and widows, orphans, starvation, pride, greed, racial hatred, whatever it is. All the byproducts of the world's kingdoms, we're pretty familiar with it. But the kingdom of God that's on the move is on the move to lead to life itself. For all those who make Jesus their king, right, there is the promise of eternal life itself, the promise of actually living into who you were created to be. And we have a hope that there will be a day of justice for the people who have been abused under the power of worldly kingdoms. There is hope in the kingdom's origin. But even more so than that, there is hope in the nature of the kingdom and its king. Because the nature of the king is that he wants to be with you. Right? Many of us would not get an audience with the heads of states, the big powers of our world. We're not rich enough. I know some of y'all got some Bitcoin. You think you're hot stuff, but not rich enough, not influential enough, not strong enough. What you can kind of create, you can check off the boxes that we don't meet when it comes to value in the eyes of worldly leaders. A lot of them wouldn't see us as much more than, you know, commodity, but not the king. The king wants you at his table. The king invites those of you who are wrecked by anxiety. Come to his table. Come find peace with the wonderful counselor. The king invites those of you stuck in some addiction, stuck in some pattern of thinking, hey, I'm in this thing, I'm struggling with it, and this is the way my life will always be. He says, come, son, daughter, experience freedom at my table. Those of you who are constantly doubting yourself, constantly always worried about other people's opinions of you, constantly trying to prove your worth, the king says, come to my table and get your identity. Center down yourself in the fact that you are related to the king. You see, your value with the king is not based on how well you can perform by the world's standards. Some of us, our, our souls, our minds are so tired because we're always trying to perform, always trying to prove ourselves, always trying to justify ourselves, always on the grind. All I want to say is you don't have to grind your way 
to God's grace. It's free gift, grace. The good news of the kingdom is you don't have to be a five-star general to be invited to the king's table, amen? The invitation of Jesus to his table is, is with other brothers and sisters, right, who have repented, who have said, seen that the kingdom of God is present, is at hand, and they've recognized they're a mess. And though they recognize they are deeply a mess, they are deeply loved by the king. Jesus invites you to his table to experience life and truth. Life and truth. And that's what Jesus has to talk about next to Pilate. He's going to talk about truth, the foundation, the essence of his kingdom. Let's pick up in verses 37 and 38. It says, um, then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Excuse me. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born, and for this purpose, I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, find no guilt in him. So the citizens of the kingdom, they're unique because they are actually a part of an eternal kingdom, an eternal kingdom of truth. So we're going to talk about how people of other kingdoms can't say that, that this is what makes the citizens of the kingdom strange. And so Pilate at this point, he's just annoyed, man. He's confused. He's exhausted. He's like, dude, what is your problem? All right, many commenters actually say that Pilate at this point, he's like sarcastic. He's like, oh, so you're a king. Okay. Okay, cool. But Jesus is, he's not concerned. He knows he's got Pilate for a loop. He's thrown him for a loop. He's totally out of his element. And Jesus responds emphatically to Pilate. He says, hey, yes, I am a king. Yes, I have a kingdom. And Pilate, I know it's unfamiliar to you because the kingdoms that you're familiar with are primarily concerned with the territory under your feet. But you see, the kingdom of God has come for the territory of hearts and minds. Got a different purpose. It's built on a different foundation. It's built on a foundation of truth. Jesus is saying su something subtly there, right? He's like, look, think about this. My, my, my kingdom is built on truth. And what he's essentially saying is, I am the king of a kingdom that transcends time. There will never be another truth that's going to come and unseat the truth of the world. There will never be another truth that knocks Jesus off the throne. Pilate, Pilate can't see that. Very often we can't see Jesus. We can't actually see him for what it is because we're blinded by our possessions and position. Right, Pilate, he's hot stuff. Roman governor, right? He's the boss of the region. And so in his mind, he thinks that there's some eternal value, let's say, in being a Roman governor. I don't know about you, if I met a Roman governor today, I would kind of be impressed, but it wouldn't really mean much to me. I might take him to Dillies and try to hear his story or something like that, but that's about it, you know? There's a diminishing value, right, in the positions and possessions and the ways that we try to build ourselves up in this world. The kingdom of God is forever. It's built on the foundation of truth, and it's built on something that we as humans are attracted to. 
that we journey for. We search for truth, and the voice of Jesus goes out and draws people to himself. Citizens of the kingdom are drawn by the truth of who Jesus is, Jesus himself. And there's a strong confidence you can have when you know that the kingdom that you've built your life on is untethered to the passage of time, that the kingdom that you built your life on is untethered to the rise and fall of kingdoms. You know, Tom Brady's teammates, they're probably experiencing this a little bit right now. Right, uh, uh, just last year, they were on top of the world, Super Bowl champs. And, you know, I don't know if you've heard, but this past week, Tom Brady retired. And maybe if they've staked all their hopes in him, their fortunes are, it's a little bit in flux. They probably were hoping, playing to his 80s, right? He was never like, he was never like super like athletic anyway. He could probably just do some like screen passes or something like that. He wouldn't throw it like that. That just wouldn't work. That's like Tebow. Um, but they were, you know, they, maybe they hoped that he, you know, they'd wheel him out there in his 80s and he would be out there and, um, you know, be, be playing. So he died. But the reality is, right, there would come a day when Brady would retire. There would come a day where he couldn't play. And I think in a very micro way, that illustrates, right, what happens when we put our confidence, people, places, the things of this world. You see, when we've put our confidence in the temporary things of this world, what we've done is we've we settle for what's temporary when God has created us for permanence, created us for permanent relationship with him as a part of his kingdom of truth. And what you don't have to worry about, we don't have to worry about a new article coming out from Christianity today where Jesus is like, all right, here's my next chapter. Jesus is not retiring anytime soon. He will never retire from the throne. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that will continue into eternity. So with all the kingdoms that are presented to us these days, right, the question for you is, what sort of kingdom are you building your life on? I want to talk to my fellow citizens of the kingdom of truth. I want to tell you that if you are part, if your confidence is in the king and you are a part of the citizen, or if you are a citizen of the kingdom of truth, do you know that the kingdom that you are a part of is unshakable? Did you know that? Have you rested in that identity? How does that change your week knowing that you are unconditionally loved by the God of the universe? And I know there are times, especially of recent, it can look bleak sometimes. Right, what am I, you know, you see people walking away from the faith and all these kind of stories coming out about what Christianity is and all the, the low moments we would call it in Christianity. And, you know, I've experienced that personally. I've got some of my, my, my favorite Christian artists. I walked away from the faith and it was, you know, it, it rocks you sometimes. You start to wonder, right, have you hitched your life to the right wagon? There have been times of persecution. There have been times of war. There have been times when Christianity will be killed by, they said it will be killed by some new idea, some scandal, some virus that not, doesn't allow us to be together. But guess what? Here we are. Here we are. Still gathered together. People of the king. Still gathered together being strengthened by our king every single day. Still being drawn to his vo voice. 
See, we want to remember what we have to do as we go through some of these difficult times. We want to remember the promise of our king. His promise that he said, the gates of hell will never prevail against his church. And I don't know about you, but when I hear that word prevail, excuse me, I get the sense that the the powers of darkness, that the enemies that are against the church are fighting very hard. And it may look like at times that, hey, you know, are they winning? No, because even if the battle's hard, the victory has already been won. Jesus has already nailed the enemies of sin, Satan, and death on the cross. And when he said it was finished, they were done. And so what happens is they're fighting really hard, knowing that they're heading to destruction and trying to carry as many people along with them. These these attacks on the body of Christ, they feel like these hurricanes, but really they're just waves hitting against an unsinkable ship. And it's an unsinkable ship, not because there's necessarily something special about us. It's an unsinkable ship because Jesus is on the boat. The one who the winds and waves obey, who is captaining the ship and leading us into eternity with him. Reality is every church in Arizona can close down. And the kingdom of God is still going to be in business, y'all. Still going to be in business. It continues on the power of the spirit of, the tr- spirit of truth. Continues on the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just some emotion that we get when we sing songs. The Holy Spirit is the light within us that empowers us for the mission of God, empowers us to testify to the presence of the kingdom of God in our world. The confidence that we have in our God and him being with us until the end of the age is the strength beyond our strength that gives strength to us every day. Be confident if you are a part of the unshakable kingdom of God. Now I want to shift and I want to talk to maybe some of you who are asking that question like Pilate. What is truth? Feels like Pilate could have tweeted that from like, Pontius Pilate, Bucks fan 35 or something, man. It's like such a question that we often hear today, right? What is truth? What is truth? I want to tell you is that if you're asking that question, what is truth? Come and find us. Come and talk to us. And we're going to tell you all about Jesus. Because the truth is not just some like life hack, some way that we got to alter our life that's going to get us better results and make us happy and more successful with people. The truth is a person. It's Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life to anyone who hears and obeys his voice. And so maybe, maybe you're like, ah, ah, heard that before. I'm not, I'm not listening to any of that. And so what you've done is you said, all right, you know what? I'm going to make success my truth. I'm going to make status my truth. I'm going to make my strength my truth. And oftentimes when we do that, it just leaves us exhausted, trapped. I say oftentimes because maybe you're like, ah, I feel great. I'm doing this. Well, guess what? Ultimately, those things are trapped by their temporary nature. You will end up trapped one way or another. Some people have discovered this deathbed as they think about their lives. But Jesus is the truth who he says. If you abide in his word, If you know the son, that he is the truth that has come to set you free. He is the truth that doesn't leave you trapped and exhausted. 
He is the truth that doesn't continue running and working and trying to fill this void in your life. He is the truth that actually satisfies your deepest longings. He is the truth that has come to invite you to become a citizen of his kingdom. Turn your life to him, to speak the truth over your life. Because if you're not a part of the kingdom of truth, right, you are probably and you are actually living into the kingdom of lies. There is some lie that the enemy is probably speaking over your life, probably telling you something about your past, maybe telling you something even about your present, maybe probably telling you, hey, I have to work to gain my value. All these lies that we are just bombarded with. There is one who has actually come to free us from all of that. There is one who has come to say, I have a purpose for you in my kingdom. I desire relationship with you in my Kingdom. Maybe you're like cautious about like, well, what is this God like? You're asking that question like, can I trust God? Is he actually good? And you know what? If you're asking yourself those questions, you don't have to wonder what God is like. See, with Tom Brady, the quote from the scout who didn't pick him, he said, they, couldn't, they wished that they could open his chest and look at his heart. They wished that they could see his spine. You know, we can't say the same for God. Right, Jesus is God actually opening his chest, showing you his heart, showing you that on his spine, he's willing to put a cross on it so that he could be in an eternal relationship with you and I. This is the God. This is the God of truth who has come for you. This is the God that invites you today to be a citizen of the kingdom of truth. The truth that has come for you indeed. You are invited to the king's table today. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Your word, Lord, we thank you that there is a truth that has come into our world. Set us free. There is a truth that has come, God, to show us what life was actually designed, how it was actually designed to be experienced, God. Because it comes from the author of life, the one who is all in all, holding reality together. God, I pray this morning that, God, we would either God, be just reminded of the confidence that we have, and remember that we can hold unswervingly to the hope because the one who was promised it is faithful. And God, if we don't, if there are people here, God, who don't know you, God, they would come to know the goodness of the king that wants to be with them, Lord. God, fill our minds with truth. Draw us closer to you, Lord. And all of this we ask in your name. Amen. Amen.